Hey, good morning. Thank you for joining us for a recent sermon from Harvest Baptist Church. I'm Mark Likens. I'm the lead pastor here at Harvest. We're a Bible-believing, gospel-centered, grace-driven church family right here in Atrona Heights, Pennsylvania. And if you'd like to learn more about our ministry, you can visit us on Facebook or at harvestbaptist.info. Now, I hope you enjoyed today's sermon. It's my prayer that this will encourage and equip you in your relationship with God. Hebrews 11, verses 6 and 7. It says, Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Who's him? God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, Moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. So I'm going to take these two verses and I'm going to package them up in three thoughts. Number one, believe in God. Number two, believe in a good God. Number three, believe God. I think those are simple enough and we can get all three. So first of all, believe in God. Hebrews 11.6 starts and it says, Without faith it's impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that God is. All right, that's simple. If you're going to come to God or have faith in God, you need to start at the point that there is a God, that God actually does exist. Now, if you're not careful, you'll be tempted to roll your eyes a little bit inside and say, Pastor Mark, come on, we're in church. I don't think there's many people here that don't believe that there's a God. Maybe there's a handful, but... I mean, can we just skip past that? That seems pretty elemental. You know, I need something applicable for my life. My life is hard right now. You know, I have, I have money problems. I have relational turmoil. I have uh, anxiety and worries. I have grief that I'm dealing with. I need something applicable. And I want you to see that just this idea that there is a God is so practical for your life, deeply so. How could you ever know what to do with your money or your relationships or your worry or your grief or anything else if you have not first answered the fundamental question, is there a God or not? You have to understand that that foundation of if I am primordial ooze with time and chance or if I am the product of a sovereign creator God who made me and knows me and has a plan for me and a design for me, that those two foundations are wildly different. And which foundation you build off will build a decision tree for how you begin to treat money and relationships and worry and grief and all the rest of it, right? So take your money. If, if there is a God who made me and has his word and actually says, here's how to do money, here's not how to do money, here's you should be generous, you should be open-handed, if there's a God who tells me those things, that's going to matter with how I handle my money. If there is a God in a heaven, and there's such a thing as the Bible would claim that there is, that there's even eternal rewards, that when you're generous, God notices that, and he won't, he won't let that go unnoticed in the life to come, and that there's actually rewards there with how you invest now in his work and his kingdom, then that is going to matter on how you handle your money. Verse, if you think, you know what, dust to dust, ashes to ashes, this is all there is, life is a vapor, I got 70 years, maybe that's it. You only go around once in life, so get while the getting's good. Those two approaches of whether there's a God or not who's going to sort things out in the long run, or no, there's not a God, and there's just, it's just us, time and chance, that's going to matter to your money. 
That's going to matter to your anxiety and to your fears and to your worries. Best I can tell, the economy isn't the epitome of health right now. Best I can tell, there are wars and rumors of wars right now. Best I can tell, we actually did have a pandemic that a lot of people actually did die from. Best I can tell, there's lots of things circumstantially that we would change if we had a magic wand and make things quote-unquote better. We would. And there's plenty of reason for concern or worry. But if you, if you believe that I am ooze, time, chance, the end, then that means no one created you. That means there was no purpose to your design. I mean, it's just happenstance. It just happened to be. And what happens next? It's just going to happen to be. And what happens a year from now, and a hundred years from now, it's just going to happen to be. It means that there's really no moral code, right and wrong, that someone actually can superintend. That means a lot for the day-to-day. And if it's just happenstance, then what's coming next is happenstance, and I better keep my head on a swivel. I better look over my shoulder, because who knows what's going to happen. But if there's a God... If there's a sovereign God who's in control of everything, who actually rules and reigns, if there is a God who holds all things together by the word of his power and nothing slips by him and he's still in control, that he's, it's not like he got a headache and he took a nap for a little while. It's not like he stepped down from his throne for a little while. He didn't take his hands off the wheel. If there's a God who hasn't done any of that and is still sovereign and is still in control, do you think that perhaps... He could handle whatever's going on in your life. Maybe. If there's a God who's still in control, would it make sense that we run around as Christians as though the sky is falling all of the time and who knows what's going to happen and oh my word and gloom and doom. Or would it make more sense that we actually brim with confidence, not confidence that we're sure the economy will get better, not confidence that we're sure this war will unfold and all of Europe won't be sucked into World War III. I don't know what's going to happen there, but confidence that there's a sovereign God and that that's not slipping by the goalie, right? If there's a God, that matters for your life. That matters for your anxiety. You can actually read the newspaper, I know many people don't read it physically, you can scroll through whatever you're wanting online and you can actually read that different. You see how your filter would be different? You see how your life would be different? If there's a God. And what Hebrews says is there is a God. There is a God. And if you want to have faith, start here. Start with the reality of God. Start with the, with the mindset that he is and have confidence that there's a God. There's an, an old song by a group called 33 Miles And the song is called, There is a God. And I love a stanza in that song. They say, from the center of my soul to the edge of the universe, creation is crying out, believe it or not, there is a God. That's the truth. Look inside at your conscience, your moral compass. Look outside at a macro level at the universe and how big and expansive it is. And it all screams the reality, there is a God. There is a God. But secondly, you have to believe this, believe in a good God. It's actually not enough to just believe in God, the end. You need to believe in a good God, is what it says. Believe that he is and, 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 that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So if you grasp the fundamental fact and reality that there is, in fact, a creator God, faith should go on to believe that that God is benevolent, 
and gracious and loving and kind and a rewarding God who eagerly wants to encourage those who would seek him, who would want him, who would want to have a relationship with him, that he rewards those. And I touched on this last week, but it's it's worth elaborating on. You need to have this because this is one of the oldest lies that exists, perhaps the oldest, that if, if there is a God, there also is a spiritual realm. whole other sermon and conversation, but there is. And one of Satan's oldest tricks is to say, if I can't get you to believe that there isn't a God, I'll get you to believe that there is a God, but he's not good. And he's not gracious, and he's not a rewarder. And that will ruin your faith. It will tinker with it in ways that you do not, you do not want to happen. Why? How? Well, because you stopped believing that he was good. You stopped believing that he actually had your best interest. People do this all the time with the, the do's and don'ts of, of God. And there are some do's and don'ts. And they look at them and say, what's up with that? He's trying to handcuff me. He's trying, I can't get drunk. I, I have fun when I get drunk. Why, why are you trying to limit me? Why are you trying to take away my good time? Look, look at what he says about sexuality. How, how culturally regressive is that? That's, that's the most antiquated thing I've ever heard. He, you know, he needs to get with the times. I, I, he's trying to hold us back. He's trying, to, he's trying to prevent us from having, what a cosmic killjoy, that God. And while you wouldn't say it in those words, that's more or less what the tune becomes. That's not true at all. You're slinging mud at the character of God. He is God, yes, but he is a good God. He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. He's not up in heaven just looking to see if he can find your problem and squish you and, and you know, play whack-a-mole with little humans. That's not God. God is good. He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And Enoch, in verse 5, understood that. Noah, in verse number 7, understood this. But it's not enough just to believe that there is a God. It's not enough just to believe that God is good, although those are very, very, very foundational, right? This is like first grade Sunday school, I know. But you also have to then believe God. And believing God and believing in God are two different things. And Noah is a man who believed God. Listen to verse number seven. By faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet. Now, isn't that reminiscent of verse number one, that faith is evidence of things not seen? Noah has faith in these things that God warned him about that weren't seen yet. And he did this. He moved with fear. He prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and he became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Here's three thoughts on Noah. Each of them, I think, are, they build on each other, and they're equally important. You know from this verse that Noah was someone who was mindful of the word of God. Here's the story of Noah. The birds are chirping, the sun is shining, the kids are playing in the park, life is good. And God comes to Noah and he warns him. He says, Noah, I know the sun's shining today, but there's coming a day and it'll be dark. The sun's not going to shine on that day. It's a judgment day that's coming and it will be beyond painful, beyond scary. I need you to know it's coming. And I want you to start preparing for it. No, it hadn't come yet. All was good in Noah's life. But the word of God stepped onto the scene in Noah's life. And what did Noah do? He obeyed it. He listened to it. He paid it mind. 
He didn't just listen to it and give it ear, but it actually started to attack his heart. So much so that this man built a Disney cruise ship in the plains of Iowa. Okay? You know you believe God when you're going to go spend decades building a massive boat in the middle of the plains of Iowa because you believe he told me it was coming. He told me a flood was nigh. He told me it was coming. So what does he do? He is moved by that. He's controlled by that. And you have to ask yourself, the question stares you in the face when you look at the life of Noah. Am I controlled by what God says, by the word of God, in in any way that even remotely resembles what Noah had? That's the question. When the word of God comes to me, and we're thankful that we have his, his word now, does it move me? Does it call me to action in any way that's even remotely close to the way it was with Noah? Because this man had faith in the word of God and said, I don't see it today or tomorrow or the next month or the next year or the next decade, but I believe it's coming and I will alter my life because of it. There's a, a little book that a Presbyterian pastor, Kevin DeYoung, put out called Taking God at His Word, and he presents these three um, ways of viewing God's Word, and and they're broad brushes for sure, but he kind of lumps all of humanity uh, into kind of three categories when it comes to God's Word, and I think that they're basically true, and his categories are, yeah, right, ho-hum, or yes, amen. Those are the three. It says pretty much everybody fits in one of those. There's either a yeah, right. There's a, a cynical, skeptical, doubtful attitude towards the word of God. And, and if, to be fair, if there are questions, questions are welcome. It's okay to have questions. But there are a lot of people that say, you know, Bible, it's, it's big. And it's inspiring in parts, but you know, it's a bit antiquated. And I don't know, we cut that out, take that out. I don't know that we need that. And uh, it's indecipherable to me half the time when I read it anyway. You know, whatever. Yeah, right. It's just a bunch of dudes got together and wrote this, and good job, guys. The end. Then there are people that have a ho-hum attitude. People who, on paper, have a high view of God's Word and say that I want to follow it, and I want to listen to it, and I I, want to abide by it. But in practice, ho-hum. Just, I don't know, it's kind of tedious. I mean, I read my Bible, I try to, I try to have a Bible reading plan, but it, I don't know, it kind of feels irrelevant to my life. You know, I get to Psalm 119, you know, Psalm 119, biggest chapter in the Bible. That is like the worst day of my Bible reading plan. Like, it just goes on and on and on, and it just, ho-hum. Man, if, could I, I don't know, I, I, yeah, the Bible's the Word of God, sure it is, sure it is. Terms and conditions, Right? Sign your name broadly. There's a whole bunch that says, I don't know what the terms and conditions say. I'll just broadly sign my name to it. Treating it like it's a seatbelt. Uh, I'll, I'll put it on in case, in case I need it in an emergency, right? It's kind of annoying to put it on. I have to read it. I have to read it. But one day there's going to be an emergency, and I'm going to need it on that day, so I'll keep doing it. A lot of people treat, well, Christians treat the Bible that way. And the attitude that we should have as the people of God, the attitude that I would believe Noah had was, yes, amen. God's word came to me. God's word said this. God's word warned me, and it began to alter my life. I paid it mind. I allowed it to speak into my life. Noah is a man who believes in God, sure, but he believes God. When God tells him something, he listens, he believes. But Noah is a man, and this may strike you as strange when you read the text, who's moved by the fear of God. What does it say? Verse number seven. It says that Noah was warned of God of things not seen as yet. And what did he do? He moved with fear. And he prepared an ark to the saving of his house and he condemned the world. 
What does it mean that Noah moved with fear? Now, certainly the fear of God is a, it's a concept that is all through the Scriptures. And broadly speaking, fear of God means you have a reverence or an awe or respect for God. That you don't treat him just like the man upstairs. That you treat him like he's God and all of his godness. In this particular instance, when it says that he moved with fear, I don't think that the connotation is just reverence or awe. I think it is fear. He was, he was scared. He was afraid. He trembled. Why? Well, what did God warn him? God told him, Noah, judgment day is coming. That's, that's not pretty. That's a fearful thing. Noah, it is coming. Bank on it. I want you to be spared from it, but it's coming. And Noah was fearful about the reality that God does, in fact, judge sin. Now, if I haven't offended you in any way, shape, or form or stepped on your toes today, let me give it another try, okay? <laughs> I really don't want to step on your toes. I really don't. That's not my goal. But I, I understand that what I'm about to tell you, while it is truthful, and it is straight up what the Bible says, many would punt it out of their end zone so fast. And there are many churches and pastors and Christians who want to avoid this at all costs and act like it doesn't exist. There are a lot of people, at least I'm fearful, that have so erased and watered down the judgment of God that they have made him the cosmic tooth fairy, basically. They've made God this pinata in the sky that if you whack him hard enough with a good prayer, he'll divvy out some blessings, the end. And to be fair, God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Absolutely. But God is a holy God who hates sin, who judges sin, who punishes sin, and pours out his wrath on sin, and that is scary, yes, 100%. That you find cover to cover in the Bible that God is a God of love, but if God is a God of love, the end, you've missed it. If God is your prom date you sing love songs to and no more, then you missed it. God is also a God of wrath. And a lot of Christians have so defanged and powered down a holy God that they begin to misconstrue who he is in his character. And I want to, I want to thread this needle very carefully. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you have put your faith and trust in him and him alone, the Bible is abundantly clear that you are adopted into the family of God, you are a child of God, and that God's wrath no longer rests on you in any way, shape, or form. That there is not wrath, there is not punishment for your sin that awaits you, that Jesus absorbed all of that, and it is no more for you. And while God, while you're a child of God, he will discipline you, sure. He will punish you, to win you back and to bring you back to himself. Absolutely he will. His wrath is no longer there because Jesus lived a perfect life and died on a cross and paid for your sins and absorbed all of that wrath on your behalf. So if you are a child of God, you're authentically saved, you know Jesus as your Savior, then don't be fearful. Live life with confidence. Live life with a peace that that wrath is no longer on you. But what about the people that don't believe in Jesus? What about, that's a fair question, what about the people who reject Jesus and say, no, I don't, I don't buy it, I don't, I don't see his death on the cross, maybe it's an act of heroism, maybe, but 
It's, it's not, it's not for me. It's not paying for my sins. I don't accept that as an act of love. And they trample on the love of God because God's love is displayed when he dies for us. And they trample that love, continue in their sins, refuse to repent. What happens to those people? And the Bible is clear that they are marked as the children of disobedience, as Colossians 3 would put it, upon whom the wrath still resides, and they store up wrath for themselves upon the day of wrath. And that's scary. That's not a joke. That's not trivial. That's not insignificant. That's not popular, but it's true. And Noah understood this. Noah understood, follow God and put my faith in him, or suffer the wrath and the judgment of God. And it scared him. So much so that he, that he believed God and he followed him. If you don't accept Jesus, if you don't believe in him, if you continue in your sins, or you try to pay for your sins all on your own, it's wrath. It is judgment. And that's scary. Hell is real. Forever is a long time. And it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. And you don't want that. And if you get scared into believing in Jesus, fine. If you're so overwhelmed by his grace and his love that you just uh, believe in him for that reason, fine. I don't care. Or anything in between. The reality is there is judgment. No one understood it. He understood it and it moved him and it provoked him. Noah moved with fear and built an ark, and listen to the phrase, to the saving of his house. That's significant. What's that saying? That's saying that this patriarch so believed God and so listened to his word and so followed God with fervency that his wife and his children and his grandchildren were affected by it. And while everyone has to make their own decision, of what they do with God and what they do with Jesus. You can't force that on somebody. You can't make someone carry your religion or your faith. You can't do that. There is a reality that those who are leading, especially mothers and fathers, but even grandmothers and, and grandfathers, or maybe you're an older sibling and you have younger siblings underneath of you, there is a reality to what you do with God and what you do with his word and what you do with faith will have a domino effect and some sort of impact on those that are under you. How do you do that? How do you get that for your kids? One of the best ways that I know is follow God. Trust him. Love him. Read his word. That has a positive effect on the family. And Noah knew it and he understood it. But here's what it says. Noah had faith. He listens to God. He moves with fear. He builds an ark. His family is saved. He even condemns the world. His, his faith was such a testimony to the world around him and what he did and how he listened to God that it was condemning to them because they did not. And listen to the last phrase. It says that Noah became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Now let me read that again. That bears repeating. Noah became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. I don't know if I could encapsulate the entirety of Scripture in a better phrase than that. When you approach that phrase, you are figuratively speaking, you're, you're stepping on the holy ground. You could almost take your shoes off. That is the creme de la creme. That is the essence of Christianity. If you get that, you will get Christianity. 
Now, whether you believe it or not is a different story. But if you get what this is saying, you will understand the heart of Christianity and why Christianity is vastly different than any other religion that has ever existed or ever will exist. This is saying that this man received a good report, as you would see it in verse number two. This man received righteousness. God looked at him and said he's right, he's justified, he's righteous. How did that happen for Noah? He was an heir. He received it, and he received it by faith. That's what it says. There is a vast difference between that and what every other religion will tell you, because every other religion will tell you, earn it. I put my faith in Jesus. I don't earn. I don't work. I don't. I put my faith in him just like Noah put his faith, and I receive righteousness as an heir. This is exactly what the Bible says, in case you think I'm making it up, 2 Corinthians. I could give you a lot. I'll just give you this one. God made him, who's him? Jesus, to be sin for us. And Jesus knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, I could show you that all over the place. That's what Christianity teaches. That when Jesus died, he died for our sins, so he could take that off of us and he could put his righteousness onto us, as Luther would call it, the great exchange. Give me your sin, I give you my righteousness. Now when God sees you, he looks at you, he sees you as righteous. And I'm here to warn you. You can go the performance route if you want. Let me work, let me earn, let me try, let me try to get God's smile. But not only will it not work with God, it won't work with you. It's extremely impractical. It'll wear you out. Because how will you ever know if you earned enough? How will you ever know if your good was good enough? Do I got to be Mother Teresa benevolent? Do I just got to be better than the schmuck who lives next door? What do I got to do? Where's the line? How, how much do I have to give? How many times do I have to read the Bible? How many times do I have to go to church? Where is it? And you'll never have peace. You'll never pillow your head at night, confident before God knowing that you're his, knowing that heaven is your home, you'll never do it. You'll be duck soup. But if you will, by faith, like Enoch, like Noah, like Abel, like all these characters, if you will put your faith and trust wholly, exclusively, totally on the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I've got nothing to offer you, but you got everything to offer me, would you take my sin and give me your righteousness? He says, I'll make you an heir. I'll gift it. I'll give it to you. And my wealth will become your wealth. My righteousness will become your righteousness and you can now stand confidently before God, not because of your works, but because of your faith. Noah was a man who became an heir of righteousness, which is by faith. And I hope and pray that if you've never understood that, that today the light bulb comes on and that you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus. Hey, this is Pastor Mark again and I wanted to take a moment and just say thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that the message both challenged and encouraged you from the Word of God. Maybe you're listening for the first time. I want you to know that we believe the most important decision you'll ever make is the decision to know Jesus in a personal, intimate way. To find out more about that, you can visit harvestbaptist.info forward slash gospel. If you live in one of the four counties that are church borders, Allegheny, Westmoreland, Armstrong, Butler, and you don't have a church home, then we would invite you to come and to worship with us and join in the gospel work that God is doing here at Harvest Baptist Church. Maybe you're a regular listener and God's laying it on your heart to support the ministry and the outreach of Harvest. 
Your gift would help us reach more people more effectively with the gospel message. If you'd like to partner with us for ministry in Western Pennsylvania and around the world, you can visit harvestbaptist.info forward slash give. Again, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.